the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the jingle just said, this is the word to stand on for life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, uh, church questions, whatever's on your heart. All we need you to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, please be safe. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight here at the church, I'm going to be teaching Leviticus chapter 17. And with all my heart, I believe this is the best chapter in the book of Leviticus. So uh, I, I, I'm excited about tonight's Bible study. You can watch that at calvarysa.com. Um, we always have room on Wednesday nights, so you're welcome to join us as well. Leviticus chapter 17. And of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. While we wait your calls, let's go to some questions that have been sent in to us. The first one uh, is from Anonymous. Most of these are always anonymous. Pastor Ron, thank you for your ministry. You're welcome. That's my insert. My question is about biblical grounds for divorce. My husband and I are both Christians and our marriage is great now, but years ago there was physical abuse even when we were already saved. Things are much better now, exclamation point, in, in, by the way. And uh, we serve at our church. My husband is repentant and has been kind since then, but says that the Bible doesn't say physical abuse is grounds for divorce. I have forgiven him, but disagree with his stance. But should this be something to even talk about? Uh, I don't think it serves any purpose for you and your husband to talk about it now. This is something that he really needs to just get in the Word and let the Holy Spirit convince him. But I do believe, Anonymous, that this is a discussion that Christians ought to have. Uh, God's called us to live in peace. You know, when we are physically abusive, now before I even go there, let me say this. The first thing that I say to any woman who's being beaten by her husband is to get out. Now, the tragedy is that they almost never do. Where would I go? But I love him. I know he's sorry. When you're being abused physically, getting out, getting to a safe place should be the priority. Imagine, now you don't say if you have kids, but imagine the damage that's being done to your children when they're watching their mother be physically beaten by their father. You talk about messing your kid up, that's going to do it. So I always tell people to get out. Now, here's the problem. We make a covenant before the Lord when we get married. 
And marriage is a covenant that was established by God for humans. And that covenant is to, to love, to honor, to cherish, and in some cases to obey. Um, and when we break that covenant, uh, it's as though we broke it with marital infidelity. So surely, Jesus says he's called us to live in peace. So surely, physical abuse is grounds for divorce. Now, let me make this personally applicable to your situation. Uh, I know I said I don't think there's any value in your husband and you uh, talking about it now or having difference of opinions about it now because things are better and we thank God for that. But here's the thing. Your husband needs to realize how horrible this sin is to the Lord. Now, he's repented, he's forgiven, all of it's gone. But so often, people don't realize that they're going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. And he's going to say, I gave you this woman, and this is how you treated her. And I just would want to be sure that his repentance is genuine. You say it is, I take you at your word. And your marriage is great, that's wonderful. You're serving at your church, that's even better. But this is an issue that he needs to take very, very seriously uh, because apart from being under the power of the Holy Spirit, the reality is that that behavior can be repeated. And he needs to understand how vile this is to God. It is a covenant breaker, just like adultery is a covenant breaker. So is it worth arguing about? No, it isn't because you guys are doing great and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But uh, I think too often um, we don't give it the proper attention that that depth of sin really needs. You know, Anonymous, I take a lot of heat, uh, especially from women, because, um, you know, this well, verbal abuse, and verbal abuse is not grounds for divorce. Um, ver- verbal abuse, just a, a man being a jerk, that's not grounds for, being a, for, for a divorce. Um, but physical abuse crosses that line, and as I said, breaks that covenant. So this is really, really important. I praise God that you and your husband have worked through this. And as you indicated, uh, he's serving in the church along with you. Those are great, great, great praise reports. But this is a really important issue for him to understand um, God's heart on. And often when people get through things like you have, God will be able to use you to minister comfort and correction to other people who are going through the same thing that you've already traversed um, faithfully with the Lord. So that's uh, my answer, and uh, I agree with you. Um, Hope that helps. Here is a question. This one is from Jeffrey. And he says, good afternoon. And he says, how is the NIV 1984 good? Every NIV I've looked at has missing sentences and verses missing or change, so I stay with the New King James. And I hear you talk about uh, we don't have to tithe because of the New Testament from the Lord. And I can't remember where you said it was in the New Testament. Just curious. Two things, Jeffrey, and I think this is important. Before we make statements, we have to know what we're talking about. I don't know where you got the idea. And by the way, a lot of the King James only people think the new King James version is just as evil as any of the other contemporary versions. Um, I said on yesterday's program in response to a question that with all of my heart, I believe that the 1984 version of the NIV is the best translation of the New Testament by far. If you're teaching on the New King James or teaching on the King James, you're going to say, well, this Greek word means, and it's going to end up being what the NIV already translated it to mean. So I think that's important. But Jeffrey, it's not missing sentences, and it's not missing verses. If there's a verse that says uh, that, that is skipped in the main body, then you look down at the bottom of the page, and it has. It'll say some versions have, and then they'll have the, the, the passage and the verse. And so nobody's trying to hide anything. Here's what the difference is. 
the newer translations, whether it's the NIV uh, or the uh, uh, ESV, um, uh, the New King James, not the New King James, I'm sorry, that's that's incorrect, um, um, uh, the NASB or any of the others, uh, they're translating the Alexandrian set of manuscripts. We have two sets, primary sets of manuscripts. One of those manuscripts is the Alexandrian, the Egyptian um, texts. Those manuscripts are somewhat older than the uh, Texas Receptus, which I'll talk about in a moment. They are both good. They are both authoritative, but they're different. So the translators are not leaving anything out. They're simply translating the manuscripts that they have. So there's no conspiracy to cut things out. The King James and the New King James, they translate the Texas Receptus version. The Texas Receptus, or the majority texts, uh, are uh, a little bit newer. And uh, there is a, a, a working theory. I don't necessarily agree with this, but there is a working theory that the older the manuscript, the more reliable it is. Again, I don't subscribe to that in this particular case. I think both sets of manuscripts are outstanding. Um, but the, the, the newer versions aren't trying to hide anything or conceal anything. So there are no missing sentences and no verses. It does not have some of the verses that the King James or the New King James has, but only because they're faithfully translating the manuscripts, uh, either the majority manuscripts, Texas Receptus, or the Alexandrian manuscripts. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful translation. If you're reading the King James, which, by the way, is still my favorite. It's my favorite because that's the Bible I grew up on when I first got saved. Uh, I I have vision problems, and so if I can't see the Bible verses uh, when I'm teaching and it comes from memory, that's when King James comes out because I can remember those. I think that's the best part of the King James Bible. It's so memorable. It's so memorable. So um, um, please don't be guilty of just repeating these things that you hear others. The King James only people, you know, they, they've got an agenda. There's a bunch of horrible, horrible um, um, books out about how the King James is the only authorized Bible. And they're simply not thinking it through. So uh, the NIV, the 84 version, is a wonderful translation. Um, it's, it's not as good in the Old Testament, but it is still very, very good and reliable. Now, the other question you said, we don't have to tithe because of the New Testament. I didn't say that. I said, because we're under a new covenant. Tithing is a law for Jews, for Israel. And it was under the law. Jesus canceled the law. He fulfilled it first and then canceled the code that opposed us. And when he was in the upper room just before dying, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. Now, you and I, Jeffrey, we have that new covenant. It's our New Testament. And in the New Testament, tithing is nowhere mentioned beyond the the gospel accounts. And in the gospels, the gospels are Jewish. They're extremely Jewish. Jesus was here to fulfill the law. And so when he said things to religious Jews, he said, you tithe and it's right that you do so. That's because they were Jews under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, under grace, we're to give with a cheerful heart, literally a hilarious heart, and we're to give as the Lord leads us to give. Now, I personally believe, Jeffrey, that we ought, new covenant Christians, ought to to give um, way more than 10%. I believe that with all of my heart, we can't outgive God. It's not a give-to-get scheme, and that's not why we give. We give because we're grateful. But we give not under compulsion. That's what Paul says, writing to the church in Corinth. We give because we're grateful. We give because God has given everything to us. So what do we owe him? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, I like the King James here, Jeffrey. I beseech you, 
In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means everything that we have is His. Our body, our lives, our time, our treasure, our talents, all of it belongs to the Lord. And I just, it's absurd to me, Jeffrey, why we hold on to this one Jewish law. And we don't keep all of the other Jewish laws. And here's why we do it. We do it because if I can make you give 10%, I can then budget and count on it. Well, that's not, what, that, that's not faith. That's not trusting that the Lord is going to provide for you if you're doing what he tells you to do. So we don't tithe. We give a love offering. We give it generously. The Philippian church gave above and beyond their means. They gave because they wanted to. They begged Paul to participate. And Paul was shocked at how much they gave. And we know, looking at the the history of the New Testament church, the churches in Macedonia, they were uh, abundantly blessed. Why? Because they trusted God. And here's what I try to tell the people here at Calvary Chapel all the time. If you've got 10 bucks, instead of going, okay, okay, Lord, $1 for you and 9 for me. Think about the absurdity of that. We say, Lord, here's your 10 bucks. You bless me with it. What do you want me to do with it? And God's going to lead you. And you're going to be able to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, but you're going to be able to give out of a grateful heart. And that's the heart that God can bless. Now, remember, this isn't a give to get thing. Motive is everything, but this is an opportunity for each and every one of us to say, Jesus, everything I have belongs to you. And when you understand that principle, God will begin to bless your life abundantly. And then you will become even more generous because you're going to find out how much more generous God is than you ever imagined. So, Jeffrey, I hope that answers your two questions. God bless you, and thank you for listening to the program and calling in. Here is a question also from Anonymous. Um, Can you elaborate on what this means? Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Uh, Anonymous, this is pretty straightforward. Jesus saying, don't lie, be a truth teller. You know, we say things and somebody will say, well, well, will you do this? Oh, I promise. Honest to God, I take an oath. You remember Jephthah in the Old Testament, the judge uh, in Israel. Uh, he made this foolish oath to the Lord, this foolish vow. Uh, God, if you give me victory when I return, the first thing I see coming out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. Well, the first thing was his daughter. And God didn't want him to sacrifice his daughter. We do the same thing when we, 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 we make these promises. We'll say things like, I swear to God, or I promise. And, and, and Jesus said, you know what? We should be so trustworthy that when we say yes, it's yes. When we say no, it's no. By the way, that's a wonderful, wonderful rule for raising your children. If when you say no to your children, you don't mean it, believe me, they're going to figure that out. And it's going to be really difficult to discipline them. Your yes is yes. Your no is no. And we shouldn't have to make promises. We shouldn't have to take oaths. And that's the context of the passage. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. And that is um, all that that means uh, when Jesus is declaring that to be true. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I got that question twice, so I don't need to do that one again. Uh, Here is a question from Nathaniel. He said, why do Christians give God credit for good things that happen, but no blame for the evil things that happen? Uh, Nathaniel, uh, we don't blame God for the evil things because God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. So why would we give God credit for bad things when the bad things that happen happen because we do them? We're the ones who are guilty. You know, when people say, well, why did God let this happen? Or I don't believe God did this or didn't give me this. Uh, We don't blame God for those things. God wants the best for us. And he's the only one who wants the best for us all the time. And so how can we charge God with blame when bad things happen when God has nothing to do with those bad things? I think, Nathaniel, if we will be honest and we look back at the bad things that have happened in our lives, if we really let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts, 
That's why the Apostle Paul said we're to examine ourselves daily to see whether or not we're in the faith. If we'll do that, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that the bad things that happen many times are things that are our fault, caused by our disobedience. We're holding something back from the Lord instead of surrendering or being obedient to the Lord. Now, if God didn't make any of the bad things happen, then it's irresponsible, um, blasphemous almost, to blame him for it. Um, Why do we give God credit for the good things that happen? Because every good and perfect gift is from above. And here's the thing, Nathaniel, you know, God wants us to, uh, he wants to bless us continually. I I say this at church all the time. Um, I want to live under the spout where the glory comes out. That's just an easy way for me to remember what it's like to walk in the perfect will of God. Well, when I'm walking in the perfect will of God, I am the recipient of his blessings that are going to be constantly flowing. When we're following Jesus, we're going to go from one part of his will to another part of his will. To, to, to We're going to find his will each and every day. But when we are doing things uh, our way instead of his, then we are going to constantly uh, find ourselves off of that path. And that's when the bad things are going to happen. And that's just really the disciplining hand of God. He so much wants us to be in his perfect will. That when we get outside of his will, Nathaniel, he's going to nudge us back in. And I always say that the nudging usually is very gentle at first. Just the spirit convicts you and he's trying to nudge you back in the right path. But when we get stubborn, when we are doing things the way we want to do them, then that nudging becomes much more pronounced in effect. And God is simply trying to get our attention. And so... In my life, I'm, I'm an old man now, but 32 years walking with the Lord, every single blessing in my life is a result of being with Jesus. I know what my life was like before Christ. No matter how I tried, in a worldly sense I was very successful, but no matter how successful I was, it never mattered because I was always in a mess. And Jesus freed me from all of that, so I keep giving God all the credit for the good things. And when bad things happen, or evil things go on in this world, I know where the fault lies. The fault lies with mankind. We simply like to do what we want to do. We rebel against God, and we just don't want any of the natural consequences. And the reality is, the natural consequences will flow. One other thought, Nathaniel, you know, sometimes we're going through hard things, and those aren't bad things. Now, they may feel like bad things, but they're not bad things because those are the things that God is using to get us our, to get our attention. He's using those things to draw us back to him, or he's using those things to test us and prepare us for other trials that will come later in life. We can't escape trials. Even Jesus, after being baptized by John uh, in the waters of the Jordan River. Even Jesus was sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself after 40 days, 40 nights of no food and no water. When Jesus was physically at his weakest, he was right in the middle of that spiritual confrontation. But he learned things there, and he relied on the goodness of his God. So, Nathaniel, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Rudy. No, I don't have enough time for that one. Um, Kenneth says, How is it, we got two minutes, how is it possible to count our trials as pure joy, like James says? A lot of practice, Kenneth. Um, You know, the more you're in a trial... And the more you surrender to the Lord, you're going to see the goodness of God and you're going to get glimpses of the plan of God in your life. So he didn't say they are pure joy. That's important. 
He said to consider or count or reckon, one translation says, them as pure joy. In other words, they're not. So by faith, we have to make a simple transition in our thinking. And that thinking is, okay, Lord, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like what's happening to me now. But I know that you are the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. So I know that good is going to come from this. And, um, Kenneth, one thing that I can tell you unequivocally, in my years walking with the Lord, the really, really big things that God has done in my life are a result of me persevering through trials, holding on to Jesus for dear life. Lots of times I didn't feel like it was fair. There were times I just couldn't understand why things were happening the way they were. But it was especially in the most difficult ones that we were able to see the hand of God really, really move. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Man, I love that voice. John White, I don't know where you are, but I love you and I miss you. Let's take a phone call. Jason from New Brumfels on line one. Jason, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I had a question about deliverance ministry. I've never heard of it. I'm 37 years old. My neighbor's gotten into it pretty deep. Uh, it's kind of scaring my wife. Yeah. She doesn't want to be around them because of it. And uh, from what I know about the Bible, it kind of sounds possible but not probable what they're going through. I just wanted to hear what you think we should know about it. Yeah, I think your wife's discernment is is like going full speed ahead. Uh, and and we need to be discerning about this, Jason. De- deliverance ministries are uh, antithetical to the teaching of Scripture. Uh, we have been delivered. The saints have been delivered once for all, once forever, by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, validated by or punctuated by uh, his rising from the dead. So deliverance ministries are almost always associated with wildly charismatic movements. Um, Deliverance ministries are popular because people want excuses for the sins that they're committing. And in deliverance ministries, there'll be the demon of lust and they'll cast it out, or the demon of cancer, they'll cast it out, or or they'll keep naming the the demon of alcoholism cast out. Instead, you need to sit down with people and say, you know what? You didn't need a demon to lust. You didn't need a demon to drink. You did that because you wanted to. We've been delivered. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Jason, is all the deliverance that we ever need. No temptation to seize you except that which is common to man. <clears throat> Excuse me. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, you, uh, he will provide, God will provide a way out. So deliverance ministries are are dangerous, they cause a lot of damage. And when I have people who come to Calvary Chapel, Jason, with a background in deliverance ministries, they are really messed up and they're afraid of the devil and they're afraid of everything and they can find the devil and and it just takes some time they need to grow. So your wife is being uh, discerning uh, and uh, that's a good thing. You said you've been looking in the Bible. There's no deliverance ministry at all that has any value uh, the way they're presented. Uh, the one deliverance, I'm saying this, repeating it, because it's important. We have been delivered once for all by the death of Christ on the cross. 
And when we refuse to accept personal responsibility, we sin because we want to. We sin because we have no intention of stopping. And it's so easy to blame it on some demon when, in fact, we need to get on our face before the Lord and repent. So, Jason, tell your wife I'm proud of her. She's reading her Bible. And thank you for digging in. That's what a a spiritual leader of the household ought to do. Does that answer your question? Oh, yes, we lost, Jason. Jason, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, here's a question from Dale. Um, This question is, I guess, sparked by all the stuff going on in the world. Dale says, I know Jesus is coming back soon, but does it feel to you like it's really soon? (laughs) And Dale, the answer is yes, it does. It really, really does. Um, we've seen the unbelievable speed with which lies have uh, permeated the world that we live in. You know, uh, only a lying spirit can do this. You know, the Bible says Jesus will come, but before that there will be a great falling away, the apostasy. Um, That's already begun. And and we see um, impossible things. A boy can be a man, or a boy can be a girl, and a girl can be a boy. And, and and people believe it with all their heart, and they have no ability logically to think about it properly. Well, no, this, this is what I believe. This is what people want. But it's just a lying spirit that's been sent out. You combine that with the things that are going on in the world, especially in Israel. Israel is sort of God's prophetic time clock. And we see the Middle East now sort of blowing up. Jesus said that we should be aware of the times and the seasons. This does not mean we read the Bible with one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. But but what it means is that we need to be wise and look and see the signs of the times. And Dale, let me tell you this, and this is the thing that I think is the single most alarming thing that in my lifetime as a Christian I've ever seen. The rise of anti-Semitism in the world, but not just in the world, in the United States of America, where we have always considered Israel an ally, and in fact, we have been uh, provided by God as Israel's protector. Jesus is coming back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem has to be there under Jewish control when that happens. And the, the United States of America has always been that provider. Now, I want to make clear, everybody understands. The Jews are not God's people. The nation of Israel is the one to whom God made the promises. Individual Jews living all over the world, Jerusalem or anywhere else, they need to be born again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. They need to be born again. But the nation of Israel, God has made a covenant with them that is as of yet unfulfilled. All the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, those promises need to be completed. And the closer we get to the end, the angrier the enemy gets. And and with the whole world now blaming Israel for all of the things that are going on. Remember, they were a victim. October 7th was like any other day they woke up and then these horrible, um, unspeakable, horrific things happened. And now everybody's forgotten about that. And on our college campuses, in our streets, in our Congress, we have pro-Palestinians calling for the extension of Israel. And Israel is being blamed for everything. And that's simply the work of the devil. And that, to me, Dale, is the single biggest sign that, that Jesus is beginning to rise from his seat at the right hand of, of the Father in heaven and getting ready to return. And we're going to see it getting worse and worse and worse. But it's just unthinkable to me in the United States of America that it is okay to support the, the perpetrators of an act of terror. I mean, we didn't have people supporting Al-Qaeda after 9-11 with one voice. Now, that was only 23 years ago. And with one voice, everybody was, we got to get them, we got to protect, we got to defend. 
And now it's just the opposite. Israel is the bad guy. And and the, the violence that's happening against Jews all over the world. I can tell you one thing. Nazis uh, look different than they, they're portrayed in movies because that Nazi spirit, that, that enemy spirit, is truly behind all of the hatred toward Israel and toward Jews that we see in this world. So, Dale, yeah, it's really, really soon. You know, I had kind of, and I've been preaching and teaching that Jesus is coming back for a very long time. And for, I don't know, the first 20 years or so of my walk with the Lord, I really believed that Jesus would be back in my lifetime. And then I started thinking, well, you know, there's still a harvest out there. Uh, Maybe I'm getting older, so maybe I won't see the return of Jesus. Um, In these last, I don't know, a couple of years, um, that's kind of switched again. And and, and I I think, I, I still think and hope that I'll see Jesus return for his church in my lifetime. Now, I'm 180 years old, but but I still think, and it feels like, he's coming that quickly. If not, I'm going to keep doing what I always do, um, occupy till I come, or till he comes, Jesus said, and, um, and, and that's what I'll do. Um, but it, it really appears that he's coming quickly. Here's a question from Rudy. He said, can you explain what real contentment looks like in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11? Um, the secret of being content in every circumstance, Rudy, it's supernatural. The peace that passes understanding. That's what contentment is. Now, what does it look like? It looks like a Christian who is focused on and doing the will of God. doesn't matter what's going on around him um, or her, but they're continuing uh, simply to follow the will of God for their lives. They're being fruitful. They're being productive. They are about our Father's business in heaven. And and that's what it looks like. But I think, personally, what's more important is what it feels like. There's a lot of things, Rudy, that um, I, I ask the Lord to do every day. And yet, if he doesn't do them, I'm okay with that. That's what contentment is. Contentment is being able to end every prayer. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. That's what contentment looks like to outsiders. Paul talks about to, to those who are, are living where the aroma of Christ, to those who are perishing where the, 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 the stench of death. I think to outsiders, when we walk in contentment, it's frustrating to them because they don't understand how you can be so content when their whole life is, is, is a mess. So to the outside world, uh, it's a, a witness. It's a, it's a testimony to the to the power of God, but to those who are perishing, they just get frustrated with us. They don't understand, and yet we can walk in contentment. And uh, I think, Rudy, this is one of the lessons you know when Paul says in Philippians two to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not work for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I think one of the things that we have to do is learn that secret of being content in each and every circumstance, no matter what's going on around. And I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I think the way to do that, that secret, is just hanging out with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. And that contentment is going to ooze from you. It doesn't mean that your flesh doesn't still want certain things, but you learn to rest in knowing that God will give you that which is good for you, that which will benefit you and be an asset to your ministry. Um, and God not allowing some of those things, and you're still in the presence of the Lord, understanding that if God didn't give you something, it's best for you that he didn't give it to you. So I hope that makes sense to you, Rudy. Thank you very, very much. Janice says, Pastor Ron, why did Jesus turn over tables in the temple if it was his father's house? Um Janice, I, with all my heart, believe that if Jesus were here physically and he walked into the modern-day churches, and I'll just use the United States as an example, um, and see all the marketing that goes on, to see the emphasis on money, uh, to see um, our, 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 our 
heart only to entertain people rather than really instruct them. I think Jesus would do a lot of turning over tables in our churches. Jesus is rebuking them. He turned over the tables in his father's house because what was intended to be a house of prayer and a house of worship and a house of the word was turned into a house of commerce. People were getting ripped off. The people to whom God said the gospel is good news for the poor. Well, it's not good news if you got to pay. I've had people come to me, Janice, and say, well, you know, um, I don't go to church because I can't afford to. They always want money. We've never asked for a dime in our 28 years here. We've never asked for a dime. We don't even pass an offering. We have boxes in the back and people give as the Lord leads. I think that's what Jesus wants. Instead, we do everything we can to liberate people from their money. Uh, Now, it takes a lot of money to run a church. I'm not denying that. Rent's expensive. Utilities are expensive. Uh, Payroll, we got to pay people livable wages. All of that costs a lot of money. This radio program costs a lot of money. Uh, And yet, my money doesn't come from people. My money comes from the Lord. Now, he uses people. But the money comes from him, and he's the one to whom we give thanks. Now, it's interesting, Janice, because Jesus did this twice. And personally, I think it's significant that he did it at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it three and a half years later at the end of his ministry. And I think Jesus' frustration, make no mistake, this was righteous anger, Jesus' frustration was that after three and a half years, after seeing the miracles, after hearing him speak like no other man had ever speak or teach like nobody had ever taught, things were just as bad at the end of those three and a half years as they were at the beginning. That's staggering to me. And oh, how it broke his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he wept. If you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as Mother Hen gathers her chicks. But you didn't recognize the time of God's visitation. And then he pronounced judgment, of course, on the temple. And we know that 38 years later from the Olivet Discourse, the Roman general Titus came in and utterly destroyed Jerusalem and the temple to such a degree that you couldn't even tell the temple, this magnificent temple, Solomon's temple remodeled by Herod. It was a master builder. You couldn't even tell that it had been a house of worship. That's why Jesus turned over the tables. He was righteously angry. Good question, Janice. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jack says, Is our salvation conditional upon finishing in the faith or persevering? No, I think, Jack, the perspective needs to be flipped a little bit. I think when when Paul says, um, uh, if you finish or if you persevere, um, I think what he's saying is that is a sign of a true Christian. In other words, you and I will finish our race. We will fight the good fight and we will see the Lord. I think that's all he's saying is, is that's a, a Christian. You want to identify a Christian, somebody who's finishing the course. The Bible says that Jesus is the author or beginner of our faith, and he is the finisher of our faith. There's no room in there for self-work. It says that he who began a good work in us, he began it, he will be faithful to complete that good work. So if we're hanging out with Jesus, we're going to finish. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. He had done so. And so too can you, Jack, and so too will I, will finish the race. That doesn't mean we won't mess up occasionally. It doesn't mean that we won't have regrets. All it means is that our salvation comes from him, and he is the keeper. That's why the Holy Spirit's been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And if God is the one who guarantees our inheritance, that means it is an unconditional promise. Now, if you are really a Christian, if you're truly born again, then you will want to fulfill the ministry that God set before you. You'll want to open your Bible and learn about him. You'll want to be in church, and you'll want to serve the people of church. 
And you'll keep walking with Jesus every single day. I'd like to think, Jack, that we can be like Enoch. And you know, Enoch um, lived in a world, um, think about this, it's described as being every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Every, only, all. And at 65 years of age, Enoch, we would say in the New Testament sense, got saved. God sent him a message, his word. He got the message. It was a message about his son. When your son dies, it, judgment will come. And uh, Methuselah, of course, a testimony to God's grace, was the oldest man who's ever lived, 969 years old. And at that point, uh, he got the message. And at 65 years of age, he changed his life completely. And that means he had nobody but God to go to. When it says every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time, there was nobody else that he could hang around with. So Enoch walked with God, it says. And then he was no more. And that happened for 300 years. And finally, at the end of that 300 years, God said, Enoch, that's enough. I'm going to deliver you from this. And Enoch was taken to be with the Lord in heaven. So that's the thing that we really need to, to, to count on. God is the one who will get us to the end. All we have to do is walk with him. Now, people always ask the question, Jack, well, well, what about people who backslide? Or what about people who turn away from the Lord when they were once saved? If you were ever saved, you, you always will be saved. And it may be true that by backsliding or walking away from the Lord, you are going to lose a lot of rewards. But you can't lose that which God has guaranteed. And the reality is, the sad reality is, there's a whole bunch of people that think they're Christians who have never really been born again. They've never really surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What they have done is they have purchased uh, an eternal life insurance policy that's going to turn out not to be paid. So the thing we need to do, Jack, is make sure that we're walking with Jesus and, again, persevering, finishing the course is one of the identifying marks of a genuine Christian. It's a good question, Jack. Thank you very, very much. Gosh, time's flying. We've got five minutes left in the program today. Brian wants to know, what does it mean that God is the, that God the Father, I'm sorry, that God is the Father of mercies? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Um, what, what that means, Brian, is that he is the source of mercy. Uh, he is the, uh, the, the, the one who provides. His mercies are new every morning. And, and what we have to do is avail ourselves of that mercy every day. I don't know about you, Brian, but I don't wake up so well. I have really bad nightmares and stuff. And I have to literally remind myself, my feet hit the ground, i got to remind myself that every good and perfect gift comes from above. God, you are the, the Father of mercies. And there's no other source, no one else I can run to. So i got to run away from me and run to Jesus. And I know then that I am in that place where God's mercies are being poured out on me. Now, God's grace meets us every day. And His grace is sufficient for the day. Brian, I know that you are aware of the story. The story of the man in the wilderness. God told him to go out and collect enough just for one day. Just for one day. He said, if you go collect any more, then it's going to rot. God says, only one day at a time. Well, man is a beautiful picture of God's daily grace. Every day when we wake up, hopefully we've used all of his grace when we go to bed, and we wake up the next morning, and there's a whole new batch of grace awaiting us. And we can walk in that. That is the, the, the father of lights, the father of mercy, the source of all of his mercies, which are new every morning. That's all we've got to do. Good question, Brian. Let me get one more in, if I can do it quickly. Uh, anonymous. My church uses contemporary worship in its style. Is that okay? Or should our worship be more reverential. Uh, as long as your worship comes from the heart, as long as the people doing worship, and I mean the people on stage as well as the people in the audience, as long as they're worshiping God from a heart that loves Him, a heart that's grateful, then it doesn't matter what style. It doesn't matter what style. You know, I have 
people all the time, well, we should only sing hymns or, or, or uh, even on this show. Uh, contemporary Christian worship is, is bad. The only thing that's bad if, is if the worship comes from a bad heart. You know, God gives good gifts. There's no reason that hymns need to be the only way we worship. Hymns that were written 100 years ago. Uh, Fanny Crosby was great, and Charles Wesley was wonderful. But, but they could write that music because their hearts were right with God. But if we sing those songs with an ugly heart, if we're living disobedient lives, then th- that worship that comes from our mouth, the words that come from our mouth... Uh, is 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 really offensive to God. The same thing is true with contemporary worship. It's got to be done from a heart that is right before the Lord. So when you look at the lyrics, the next time you're in your church, look at the lyrics. You need to be able to sing the words of those songs and mean them with all of your heart. That's when God will let you know how pleased he is. That's when our worship becomes a sacrifice. One other comment, Anonymous, and people all the time say, well, I just don't feel like worship, or, or when those kind of songs play, I can't worship. Uh, that's an issue that you've got to deal with the Lord. We ought to be able to worship God no matter what the song is. We ought to be able to worship God because we're grateful for what he's done. We ought to be able to worship God no matter what. Thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate the question. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate your calls and questions that were sent. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Tonight, I have Leviticus chapter 17, a great chapter. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.